My name is Kelsey, but you can call me Kels, and you are listening to the Queer in Alberta podcast. What's your story? What's your sign? It's like we're twin flames in a different life. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Queer in Alberta, the podcast series where I go and chat with Albertans from all kinds of backgrounds, genders, and sexualities to hear their stories. I know that it's been a little bit since you've heard from me, but October and the beginning of November was absolutely insane. October for Story Hive was all about going to their creator sessions twice a week, so I learned a lot about things like the business of screen media or lights, camera, action. These were the names of just a few of the sessions that I got to attend with the other members of my cohort who also got the grant themselves, as well as industry professionals or returning Story Hive participants who are now super successful in their careers. So that was really, really cool to see. You might have noticed, but the audio I'm hoping is sounding a lot better because my funding came in and I've started to make some purchases for this series. As a last little update, one of the really cool things that I got to do in the beginning of November is I spent just over a week in Victoria, BC, and I was attending the BC Museums Association's Joint Two Annual Conference. So just like in September when I went to the Alberta Museums Association's conference, this was another week of professional development and networking and connecting with amazing people from the museum and heritage sector in our sister province. But the thing that I was most excited about was I got to meet so many amazing women of color, indigenous peoples, fellow mixed kids. Well, you know, they're not really kids, they're my age. But other mixed people that were even sometimes the same mix as me, which I can count on one hand and maybe even two fingers how many people I've actually met in my life that share that piece of identity with me. So I didn't expect this conference to be as groundbreaking personally as it was for me. And I just came back to Alberta so absolutely renewed um, and restored. And I also got to have some really cool experiences in relation to my queerness. We talk about it a little bit in the series. And one thing I'm working on is becoming more vulnerable and sharing more about my story as your host throughout this whole process. But I've always lived in small towns in Alberta. Even Lethbridge is a smaller city. I've never really been in a space that's been super gay or has had a really established gay village. I've traveled and visited places like that, but traveling and visiting a place for a day isn't the same as having that surrounding you all the time. And so that's all to say that I was able to have some experiences with wonderful new friends and people that were able to show me a little bit of what I feel like I'm missing in my day-to-day life. So if you're listening, you know who you are, and just thank you very much, and I will never forget you. Turning our attention to the interview that's brought you here today, I think you're in for something really special. I'll let him introduce himself, but we get to hear from a young man living in Edmonton, and at the age of 21, he has accomplished more for his own self-discovery and confidence and independence and assertion of taking up space than I think many people even attempt to do or think about doing in a lifetime. I was really struck by his strength, and as someone who's not even that much older than him, I felt even a little protective because... I couldn't imagine being as put together at the age of 21 like he is today. And so I admire his strength and his resiliency. And I just think that combining that with his just beautiful ability to be introspective and vulnerable, this is an interview that I'm really glad I get to share with you. 
we get to hear about some of the struggles um, that come with being trans, even in a big city like Edmonton today. This interview was recorded in February or March of 2022, and so I do want to acknowledge that some of the issues Nick is speaking to in his experience and story may have changed, but I will definitely be touching base with him to get a clearer understanding of that and sharing that in future projects or anything that I do on TikTok. The last thing that I want to say is that unfortunately this audio, it was recorded on Zoom and the Wi-Fi just was not its best that day. So I will ask that you're a little extra patient if it's not super clear. And you will notice that since it's an older recording, it's from when I didn't even have any equipment yet. So the sound will not be as nice. But I guess it's just something to look forward to with the new interviews that I do. They'll sound a lot better. They'll look a lot better on YouTube as well. But anyway, <laughs> that's all I have to say about that. Here's Nick, and here is Queer in Alberta, episode 9. Yeah, I'm Nick, um, a 21-year-old trans guy in Edmonton. I was born in Toronto. We lived there for a bit, went up to the Yukon for a bit. The first time I ever came out, I was probably 13. That was after a year of trying to figure out my sexuality. I didn't really know that gender was a thing that I could have a say in. Something was different, quote unquote, from, from what I was taught growing up. Um, I thought my only option to explore was sexuality. I was raised very religious and I believed every single word that I had been taught up until that point. When I came out at first, I came out as a lesbian to my parents. Getting my foot in the door of the online LGBT community is when I started figuring out like there is more to a person's identity than I had been allowed to know about at that point. I didn't know why at first, but I actually spent a lot of time watching YouTube videos of people getting their hair cut from like very long to very short. And I was very interested. Um, and then I realized at some point that if I put in the acronym FTM, I would get exactly what I was looking for. People with very long hair getting a cut very short. And at some point within that, I was like, I'm I'm going to Google that. I don't know what that means. And when I did, it was immediately just, <laughs> I was, I was just bombarded with information, but being in the situation I was at home with my parents being from a different country and us being from a very strict re uh, religion. Right. I, I denied myself the ability to explore that. So I was like, well, maybe if I try to convince myself I'm non-binary, then maybe like go by smoother, like better, because I didn't know any better at the time. But after a while, I just realized that no matter how much I tried to push it away, like that, that floodgate was open and there was nothing I could do about it. When I came out to my parents as trans, I was in a very difficult situation because um, I was at that point, I was in 10th grade. And my parents had actually just pulled me out of school because they found out that I had a girlfriend and they didn't like it. I was very disappointed in the school that I was going to at the time because when my parents found out that I had a girlfriend, they wanted to transfer me into like an online schooling program, which I had tried out before that didn't work for me. Mm -hmm. And the school didn't understand why, because my grades were so bad when I did online, but I was actually a pretty decent student in person. They didn't want to do the transfer at all. And my parents kind of like wanted to try to convince like the the vice principal that I was like some sort of drug dealer or something you know like saying that I was like hanging out with the wrong crowd and getting in trouble and doing things I wasn't supposed to but once I got so tired of it I looked at the vice principal and I just told him like 
my parents want to pull me out of school because they found out I had a girlfriend and they don't like it. And then at that point, no more questions were asked and the transfer was made. I was on that cusp between schools getting a little bit better with being more open and accepting. I was just unfortunately just barely on the wrong side of that process. I come from rural Alberta. So like you have this idea that things are hopefully a little better in the city. Nowadays, I know that it is because I have two younger brothers and I'm very involved in their kind of school career and I'm very involved in in their their upbringing. I've had to sign like forms for them where it's like, you know, for um, sex education. They've recently added in like a like an LGBT aspect to the criteria. I know that my brothers talk about it. The kids in the school are like so much better about it, so much more open. Like it's not it's not nearly as bad as it was when I was in high school. So I know that it's getting better. And I know that it's because of experiences like mine that it's getting better. Mm-hmm. But there's always going to be that part of me that's like, feels a little unfair, you know? Of course, because it is. And like, you know, you're 21. It wasn't that long ago that you were in yeah. high school. It's, I think, really unfair yes but also there's that inspiring piece where it's like wow it hasn't even been 10 years and look how much has changed in terms of like acceptance for queer people in these spaces yeah that's that's why i i try to just kind of lead by example i just was really struck by like how the internet was such a resource for you and like kind of maybe finding representation with your queerness did you have representation growing up specifically in alberta for trans identity for bisexual identity I had, I had such a skewed perspective of what transgender was because mm-hmm. I remember the very first time I ever heard the term transgender was on Jerry Springer. It was the big, the big taboo topic of, uh, you know, this person's actually a man. In my mind, from what I picked up, according to people, drag queens and transgender people were the same thing. Because that's the way it was introduced to me, it was something that... I struggled a lot with to be open and accepting of other transgender people, mm-hmm. especially like um, like the MTF community, because as a kid, not knowing that I was feeling gender dysphoria, but still having to feel it, I didn't understand why they were, in, in my mind, they would waste the opportunity to be a guy, because I thought that everyone wanted to be a guy. I grew up with that mentality for the longest time, and it was definitely the internet and the hundreds of experiences and voices and resources and just especially on YouTube, like the videos that opened up a completely different perspective. When I was in homeschool, I wasn't allowed to talk to anyone. Like it wasn't that I was just pulled out of school. I I wasn't allowed to connect. I wasn't technically allowed to use the internet. I was completely shut off from the world. But when I would find a way to sneak to the library or I would find a way onto a computer, it was the first thing I would do. I would more research on the queer community on specifically like transgender people and just just trying to absorb it all. When I was in my undergrad, I took like a psychology course as one does. It was like a child development, like of the brain kind of course. And the professor was talking about how kids will find ways to explore their interests, even if their parents don't necessarily want them to. And she told this story about how her friend's kid was like wanting to play with toy guns. And the mom was like, no, that's bad. We're not going to do that. So the kid took a cookie that had been given to them as a snack and then bit it into the shape of a little gun you know so it just made me think of like what you were talking about like parents might want to like structure us in a certain way but if you have innate curiosities and interests and questions you will find ways to get those answers the way that I grew up we were allowed to ask questions 
you just had to be careful about it because you, if you worded it a certain way, you were doubting your own faith or you were doubting God and that wasn't okay, but you could still ask questions. Well, I had all these questions, but like, I, I didn't want to get in trouble. I, you know, I, we would go to church twice a week. I would preach maybe a minimum of 10 hours a week. There were months that I would preach 50, 60 hours a month. Like all that time I'm in a skirt. I'm, you know, wearing just clothes that I hated and my hair in a way that I hated all that stuff. And I had to be so careful because I wanted to talk about it to the only people I had access to, but I had to very much tiptoe around the topic Mm -hmm. so that I wouldn't get in trouble. And it just, it, that, I think that's why it was just so nice on the computer to just sit there and type out whatever I wanted and not have anyone judge me for it. My yeah. experiences with religion and just how much it helped me back from having like a normal life. And the Ugh. fact that I, I wasted all of my teen years literally sitting in my bedroom because my parents' beliefs didn't align with who I am. I grew up in like a very kind of like intense Baptist home. Um, and so I always had the question, like, if God is such a loving God, then why is there so much hate and fear empowering the actions of this loving figure? If God is love, then why do I have to choose between falling in love and everlasting life? It's like a whole process of coming out into the self that you are now and kind of battling that inner child that went through really impressionable themes and narratives that you might not agree with today. So when I hear you say that it's been like two years since you were in the church and like the frustration there, I totally get that and respect that, but also give yourself some grace because two years is so small in comparison to the 15 or whatever more that it was. And it's going to take time in time. It does get a little easier, a little better, but it's a, it's a long haul kind of game. Found family is I think a huge proponent of the queer experience, especially if, unfortunately, our biological families aren't as supportive as we deserve. My relationship with my family has gotten a lot better <laughs> since they've seen how secure I am within myself. But huh. I owe more thanks to the people who helped me after I left my family than I do to my my actual biological family. Because yeah. Like when I left, I was 18 and it wasn't entirely my choice. I didn't have anywhere to go. I had an empty backpack and no money in my, in my account. And I just, if it weren't for someone that I had literally met three months prior to the situation who offered me a room in her house and, you know, told me you don't have to pay rent as long as you keep going to school. Cause I was still trying to get my high school diploma at that point. Wow. And just like, you know, took me to my first haircut and it would help me with, things like clothing and also navigating a new social world that I've never been a part of growing up. I, I owe it so much to that family and those people to just have that much faith in me, barely knowing me at the time. And ever since then, only just supporting my decisions along the way. They sound absolutely incredible. Sometimes feel like I don't deserve like how much love and support they've shown me, but it's definitely mm-hmm. something I'm always going to be grateful for. Well, as an unbiased third party, I can tell you, you absolutely deserve it. <laughs> Thank you. I feel like a lot of queer people can maybe kind of um, mourn this like kind of element of lost time. We have to take so many extra steps sometimes to get to our identity and place of self. Instead of mourning the lost time, let's just look at how incredible that journey is. Who gets to say that they had such an evolution in 21 or 25 years? Exactly. Being trans 
and transitioning is a lot about learning to be patient. There probably would have been a time in my life where I would say, you know, I wish I were anything but trans. But at this point in my life, I am grateful for it because I know that I would be a completely different person and probably not a good one. Because if yeah. it wasn't for, for my queer identity, I would have never questioned what I had been taught. And I would be the person giving other people hell simply for being who they are. Mm-hmm. So it has definitely in the long run made me a better person. I agree. Like my queer identity and the process of embracing it and then loving it instead of being ashamed of it totally made me the person that I am today and made me more empathetic and more, you know, able to understand and be compassionate and be a nicer, kinder person overall. It's, it's kind of crazy to think that this thing that used to like terrify me at night when I try to go to sleep as a kid is now like such a foundational piece of all of the wonderful things that make up me today. Yeah. I mean, like I remember when I was like, 13, 14. I, in my head, I thought I was going to stay with my parents until I was about 25, 30, go to college, get a career. In my head, I thought I was going to have to wait until my parents died for me to start, to, for me to cut my hair. That mm-hmm. I, had, I would have to wait until I was like 50, 60 for that to happen. Oh, oh, <laughs> a long game in this house. <laughs> 18, I just remember sitting in the chair of, of the mm. barbershop, just not being able to believe it that I was just like I from the time that I came out to my parents and the time that I got to cut my hair was four years Mm -hmm. like that that is a long time to have to look at yourself in the mirror knowing that that's not who you are I mean it's one thing to not know about your own identity and still have to struggle with that kind of dysphoria but it's a whole other thing to have that dysphoria know what it is know what you can do about it and then still have to sit there at the time I thought I'd be waiting for the rest of my life like if I had known that the, the, my goals were a lot closer to that timeline than I thought, it might have been easier. But mm-hmm. I'm just, again, grateful that I pushed through that point in my life. At whatever age you get to be who you are, it, it's still worth it. Knowing that people like myself, people like you are the people who are going to be taking control in the future, it, it's only going to get better. Mm-hmm. I, have to, I have to be able to conf- confidently believe that it's only going to get better. Oh man, the ossification of Alberta is nigh. Let's go. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. To hear that you still had to wait for four years. It's just, my heart goes out to you, but then we hear about you getting your hair cut and that's just like a euphoric seeming moment for you. Oh, absolutely. If I had to go back and do it all again, I would. Because I was very well aware that at 16, I could have left and they could have done absolutely nothing about it. But I waited until I was 18 because I do have my two younger brothers. The only thing that could be worse for me to have to wait a couple years before I can transition is knowing that I wasn't there for my younger brothers. The other day, I went over to my parents' house and my mom looks at me. We're sitting at the table. My mom looks at me. She asked me if I think that my youngest brother might be gay. And I said... I don't know. Maybe at that point, he walks into the room. He sits at the table. My mom gets up and gives him a kiss on the cheek and says, I will love you no matter who you are. If I could have heard those words at the time, that would have been amazing. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, it was straight to my therapist and I had to tell her about how angry I was and how jealous because that's just like how unfair it is. But at the same time, that was the goal. I don't want them to have to go through what I had to go through 
On my mother's side, my nana's side, I am the oldest out of all of the cousins. And of course, I had to be the queer anthropologist, right? Like really just breaking down barriers here in Canada. <laughs> I've had the exact same feeling where it's like I went through all of this stuff with, you know, how shocking it was for my mother to have a daughter come out as gay. I will shoulder all of the heat for my younger cousins. And it means that, you know, they get to have experiences that are easier and freer than what I had. Like, I am happy being the black sheep of the family if I take all the heat, as long as they get to live and just be themselves and be happy. There was something that my my doctor who was helping with my transition said to me at one point, once up when I was complaining about it for the millionth time, that really stuck with me. I was complaining about the fact that, you know, my mom is this way towards my brothers, but she couldn't be towards me. Same with my dad. And, you know, I was telling him like the pressures of being the only openly out trans person in a family that on my mom's side alone is over 150 people. Like we are a very large family and I am the only, I'm the only, I guess, person like trans person that is out. He, he asked me actually, if I had ever been snowshoeing and I said, no, because I hate the snow, <laughs> <laughs> but he said, you know, he used to go snowshoeing with his friends. And what they would do is that they would put the strongest person in the front and the person who struggled the most in the back. Because the first the first steps on fresh snow were always the hardest. But yes. by the time it got to the last person in the lineup, it was a clear path that they could just walk through. Mm-hmm. And I had been given the responsibility of being the first person because I can handle it. And you know, when he said that, that just like it made me realize I I would do it a million times over. Once in a while, they say some pretty good stuff, hey? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this doctor, like, I he's he's great. And he's helping with my transition. I, because of him, I was actually able to bypass an eight-month waiting list to get wow. on testosterone. Actually, there was an eight-month waiting list to get put on a waiting list for a year to be able to start testosterone. You're joking. I, and that was at the gender clinic. Like, my doctor just completely just decided that he did not want to have to deal with all that waiting. My, my roommate started testosterone on the 18th of March, and I started on the 25th of March. And then the city shut down. These wait times were the way they were pre-COVID. Yeah, mostly like the official routes to go through. Like through the gender clinic, there was so many barriers, so many detours and waiting lists. And like, it was so, it was such a complicated process to get even acknowledged by the gender clinic at first. Like I had so many forms to fill in and how much of that was the gender clinic and how much of it was my family doctor at the time. I can't really tell for sure. But they, you know, they put me like I almost word for word told me that I was put on a waiting list to get put on a waiting list. Like if this is a life-saving, super important thing for so many people, just for them to like throw our names on a piece of paper and just tell us to wait. It was actually because of the nurse from the gender clinic when she called me the first time to double check that I wanted to get put on this waiting list. She said, Hey, call this doctor. Here's this number he will be able to help you a lot sooner because you're going to have to wait maybe a year and a half to get seen by a doctor who you'll have to speak to for a year before getting on testosterone. I went to this other doctor and I spoke to him and because of COVID, we were like really pushing things through. It should have taken a little bit longer, but we took yeah. between meeting him and starting testosterone two weeks. Immediately we did the the mental evaluation, physical, you know, we did the blood works and the whole thing. And he's like, okay, here you go. You're just testosterone, six months supply. You know, we'll check in in a bit. And since then that specific doctor, he tries his best. Like he wears a little pin that says, I give a shit about trans kids. Like he's, he is amazing, but his clinic keeps getting shut down. He's, I got an email the other day that he's moving to his third clinic 
since I've started seeing him. Do you know why? He He's very vague about it. I, I'm always trying to push him for information. The first one, he said it was like a budgeting thing. And mm-hmm. then he moved to the wellness center on in, in uh, a very central area of Edmonton. And the wellness center is a queer care clinic. It is yeah. for queer people, run by queer people, and then, you know, the doctors. And I loved it there. I was going there. I would, you know, see him because he helps me with all of my meds and everything. And it's nice. There's there's art by queer people all over the place. It's getting shut down because they lost their funding again. I firstly didn't know how difficult it was to get access to hormones in Alberta if you were wanting to transition. But then also these extra obstacles of funding. It can't help but bring up the question for me. I'm like, is this a reflection of our current government and what they prioritize in healthcare and what they don't? I definitely feel like it is. Mm. Definitely feel like it's... It, I, it has it has to be something to do with just how uh, we as a community are seen in the province of Alberta because of the government we have here. We're not typically supported by no. a whole lot of politicians, just in general, but especially you know in Alberta, we're not really on the forefront of a lot of people's minds. Some sometimes people get a little mad that trans people like they ask for too much. You want people to use your pronouns, and you want to have this and that. It's like, why is it that I'm asking for too much when I ask for testosterone, but I am just like everyone else when I'm taking my antidepressants? It's it's just my life. Like if I have to take antidepressants because I'm depressed, then I should be just as allowed to take hormones because I'm trans. A lot of people who, who speak against trans people, against queer people in general, try so hard that they just lose the point. And like the energy, the extra energy to expend over getting upset over like having to correct pronouns or use different pronouns. Really, it would just be so much easier if we just, you know, did the right pronoun. I mean, it doesn't, I don't get misgendered as much anymore. Yeah. Probably in the past year, it's happened maybe twice um, because I've had the privilege of being able to start my medical transition. But you know, even when I, before I was able to medically transition, I was very, and a lot of people will be very understanding if mm-hmm. you mess up the pronouns or if it's a complete stranger and I would get called she, sometimes I wouldn't even bother because it's like, yeah, I, I'm not going to get mad at you for perceiving me a certain way. That's like the whole point of transitioning. That's exactly why I want to transition because this yeah. is for my, at least speaking for myself, that was one of my goals was to be able to pass in, in just day-to-day life. But at this point, like my, my parents calling me she, they have to go out of their way to do so. Mm-hmm. Because totally. my instinct at this point, because of, you know, like the fact that I look so different in my voice and I have like a little bit of facial hair here and there, by, by default, they tend to call me he when they're not paying attention. That might even be a little extra frustrating when you watch like those moments of progress where, you know, with your brother, where your mom was like, I love you no matter what, even if you're gay, yet here we are still misgendering you. How do you kind of hold your queer identity and your Albertan identity together? Like, what does that feel like for you? When I did eventually start coming out, I wasn't received very well from people around me, but also like complete strangers. I've had my ass kicked my fair share of times, you know, like it's, I I feel like I have a very negative um, opinion about people in Alberta and how they receive queer people. And I don't know how entirely accurate that is. 
But from my experiences alone, it's it's been something that I've been trying to find the balance within. Again, because of all the help and learning and teaching that I've done with my family, I kind of want to extend that further. A lot of people have stereotypes about me, but I also have the the stereotypes of, you know, things like vertiboys, them being very close-minded and mean. I I realized at first that my my experience with coming to terms with the fact that I am in Alberta, my, my goal was to fit in with what was already here. But now it's kind of like reshifting to, I want to see what potential we can have as a group of people, as a province, if those of us who have something to say, come out and say it. You know, at a certain point when I would get called a Mexican or when I would get called a whole bunch of like slurs for queer people, I would absolutely just tooth and nail, just fight it, like quite literally fight people for it. Mm. But now I realize there's more of an impact and there's more worth, it's more worth my time to teach them. One thing that I just made a little note of while you were talking just then is that we exceed the bounds of what is already established and what is already here. I had experiences of being called Mexican slurs growing up or unfortunately indigenous slurs because people didn't know what to see when they looked at me because Filipinos were not massively on the radar at that point yet. You and I occupy different social bodies, different ways of being in this world than what is stereotypically Albertan, but we are just as Albertan as anybody else in our own way like I've, I've, I've been here for a while you know like it's been mm-hmm. over 10 years everything that has made me who I am today has happened here mm-hmm. and has happened specifically in this city and you and I and like everybody else that I've interviewed all of the ones that are coming up as well as everyone that's commented and interacted with these little videos I've been putting on a clock app of all things we are living proof that Alberta is more than the stereotype of maybe say whiteness or conservatism or hay bales you know like those things definitely exist but there is a whole alternative history of what being an Albertan means and a whole different lived experience so it's time we start talking about it absolutely yeah because I mean if we don't no one will Mm -hmm. that's that's Mm -hmm. just the truth of it like to tell other queer Albertans who may have struggled similarly to you? It is not your job to educate people. It is not your job to make them better people. But ultimately, you end up winning every time if you are just very patient and are able to do it. It only makes it better for you and and for the younger generations. Because of transphobia, I had to sleep on a kitchen floor because privacy was a privilege. And I refused to sleep in my parents' bedroom. And I, because of transphobia, I had to lose the entire community that I was raised with. And because of transphobia, I could lose my family at any given moment. And I could be harmed physically on the street by any stranger. Like, I don't want to live in that world. So the patience that comes with making it a better world is one that really matters at this point and where we are as a society, especially when it comes to how we feel towards queer people. When I think about those experiences, you can tell me if I'm wrong and this doesn't resonate, but it's like you look at those horrible, horrible times in your life 
Um, and even though they felt like they were going to go on for forever and there'd be no end in sight, you look at where you are now and the joy and the fulfillment that you've been able to experience. Does it maybe feel like that is just so big in comparison to that pain? Absolutely. Like to the point where like, I don't have many tattoos, but one that I have this one here, it's a little guy drowning in a fishbowl. The reason I got it was because it uh, describes my experience with my dysphoria, mm-hmm. where everyone around me knew that I was trans and everyone around me could see how badly I was suffering, but no one was doing anything about it. Mm-hmm. And that now, like, seems like lifetimes ago. Mm-hmm. And the reason I got it tattooed was because I never wanted to forget that part of me becoming who I am. I never wanted to forget how that felt. I actually designed it when I was 14 because I knew that at some point I was going to reach a point in my life where I would be okay enough to be able to help other people. And I wanted to have a reminder to never go too far away from my self and how I started off that I would forget to help people. Mm -hmm. I just... It's a little reminder for me to be the person I wish I could have had helping me at the time. To be able to have come through all of that when you were so young and to be so grounded in who you are now and so open and transparent and full of love. I just feel so inspired in chatting with you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm not a very uh, I'm not a very like extroverted person. You know, like I always I like telling my story. It makes it easier for me to deal with the reality of like these are things that I had to go through like I want to share it it's just it's a little it's a little it's a little bit scary sometimes like I said when we started off I was nervous not so much because I was like I, I didn't think you were gonna hurt me I didn't think you were gonna bite or anything <laughs> but like it is so hard to find needles now when I first started taking hormones it was really hard to find alcohol swabs for the longest time I did my my shot, I would use literal hand sanitizer because I couldn't find like bottles of alcohol or alcohol swipes. I would have to grab like those little donated bottles and put it on a little square of toilet paper to sanitize the area. And that was horrible to the point where like now, like I can access alcohol swabs. I don't for me because of the type of injection that I do. It's the exact same needle, needle that they use for the vaccine. Really? So they, stopped, they stopped selling them. And I had to go to a couple of different uh, pharmacies. And even like with the prescription, like before you could just walk in and ask for them and they would sell them. Even now, like with prescription, they will give them to you if they have them. They don't tend to have them. Like I have to bust 40 minutes to a pharmacy that is like on the outskirts of the city to be able to find needles for myself and my roommate. It's only once a week, thankfully, but it has been you know, weeks pass by quicker when you're busy and it's sometimes I'll run out of needles and I will have to go, I've had to go two, three weeks without doing my shot because I can't find the time or the money to make it out to the outskirts of the city to buy needles because I have a shopper's drug mart two minutes that way that I can't go get them at. They just will not sell them. So infuriating because if I wanted to buy a bigger supply from like a medical store, which they do sell them, it's like 150 bucks it's just becomes so difficult like my roommate and I we've had to go weeks without doing our shop insane since since mm-hmm. the vaccine started again I can't get mad because the vaccine's important but mm-hmm. at but the same, same time, time it's like I need like I and not only for my peace of mind but for my physical health and my mental health 
so dangerous to have your hormone levels to just be wobbling back and forth like that all the time if I can't be consistent with it. You've really just opened my eyes so much to the challenges and hurdles that come with, you know, hormones and treatment and transitioning. You also have testosterone shortages, I think twice since I started testosterone. The MLA for NDP something in Edmonton, Janice Irwin, is quite active on TikTok. So maybe we need to get her attention and be like, hey, this is a problem in your city. Let's try and fix it. Yeah, I mean, it would be really nice to to get someone to listen because mm-hmm. I, I can't imagine I'm the only one dealing with that specifically no. right now. The trans-specific clinic in Edmonton, the only one just got shut down because of a lack of funding. And this doctor has had to move clinics a whole bunch of times because he is not supported by government funding to take care of trans people. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we are literally running out of testosterone at least once a year citywide and that we are currently running out of needles. I worked very hard to get to this point in my life. I don't want to have to fight for the fact that I am already here. I just want to stay here. The pandemic has been very hard on everyone. Everyone has taken some sort of loss. Everyone has taken some sort of downfall because of it. It has put us all back quite a bit. I definitely stand with you in whatever allyship and queer solidarity that I can provide. And I believe that You're going to put up one heck of a fight and it's going to be good. And I'm excited to get to know you and be a part of it and support in any way that I can. I can't even express how much I appreciate the the solidarity of, you know, that that you're demonstrating because you're, you know, we're part of the same community in a very broad sense. Yes. It's super common for different people from different aspects of the queer community to kind of pin against each other. but. I can try my hardest to help create a better future, but I'm sure as hell not going to do it on my own. I, mm-hmm. I would not be able to. I know that. And I want to be able to find like-minded people with different experiences so we can just do better <laughs> in general, you know? Any way that I can help in any capacity, I'm, like I said, very happy to do that. I just want to say thank you so much for being vulnerable and open with me throughout this whole conversation. Thank you very much for, for the opportunity again. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode nine of the Queer in Alberta interview series. I do want to take a second to point out that November 13th through 19th is actually Transgender Awareness Week. I think with that extra spotlight, it's really important to take many of the things that Nick was talking about in his interview with me and think about how we can advocate for our trans brothers and sisters in Alberta today. Be sure to let your local members of government know about these issues and advocate using the tools that you have at your disposal. As Nick said, he tries to lead by example, and I think what we can do is do our best to follow that wonderful example that he's already set for us at the age of 21. If you want to keep up with Nick, and I really can't blame you because he's super cool, you can actually follow him on TikTok. His username is at kingnicholas.s.r, so that's K-I-N-G-N-I-C-O-L-A-S dot S dot R. And then if you want to follow me and all things queer in Alberta, I am on TikTok with the username Kelsifer at underscore K-E-L-S-I-F-E-R. If you want to watch the video that comes along with this and see Nick's handsome face, you can go to YouTube and type in Queer in Alberta. Wherever you are in the world today, whether it's in Alberta or somewhere else far in between, I hope you are feeling proud, loved, and celebrated for who you are today. 
Take care and until next time, Kels. <laughs>